right, Romans chapter 15, if you will. Romans chapter 15, and again, uh, Merry Christmas to everyone. It is good to see you. And we're going to do, we're going to get back in verse number four here where we've been, and but we're going to depart from it uh, this morning, being Christmas and all, and just look at a few things. I know that uh, this time of season and everything gets kind of, uh, you know, commercially and all that good stuff, and really just having the proper viewpoint in, on everything is uh, wonderful, and uh, it's safe, if you will. Romans 15, uh, we're down to verse number 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And again, where Paul is talking about uh, the relationship between the weaker brother and the stronger brother, and we're coming, we're kind of pulling all that to a conclusion here. And we looked last time at verse 1, 2, and 3, uh, there where Paul is going to bring up the issue of, of that ultimate picture of the stronger bearing the infirmity of the weaker. And uh, we're coming out of verse 4 where Paul says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now, next week, I know it's New Year's, We'll get into the details in here. What I just want to do this morning with you is the issue there that Paul says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. He doesn't say our obedience. He says our learning. If you come over to 2 Timothy 2 and verse number 7, Paul says, consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. So he says in, in one passage, hey, the things that are written aforetime are written for our learning. Why? So that we would have patience and comfort of the scriptures, and we would have some hope. So there's a connection here between all of this and the scriptures. And just with this time of year, I just thought it would be good to remind ourselves of the Christmas story, if you will, or just kind of look at things. And because the things that are written aforetime are written for our learning. Again, not obedience. And, and we'll get into the context and all that next time because uh, I know it's New Year's Day, but we'll be back in the saddle. Normally, I don't see a lot of party hardiers out here. And we, we tried it one year to have a good party at, here on New Year's Eve. And about 8 o'clock, everybody was done, and we wanted to beat the crazies home. So, so we were like, okay, very good. We're, we'll leave it at that. But I just thought we would look this morning. Come over with me to Galatians 4, if you will, and just think about this, about things that are written aforetime are written for our learning. Paul in Galatians 4, verse number 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. All right, think about that verse. How, how did Jesus Christ come? Well, he came in the fullness of time. He comes right on time. He doesn't come a day late. He doesn't come an hour late. He didn't come a day early. 
He didn't come an hour early. He came right on time, okay? He, and so then where do we get that? Well, that timeline, we got to go back to Daniel 9. So the Daniel 9 timeline, I think, again, just think about this as things that are written aforetime are written for our learning. In the great day today, being Christmas, uh, run to Daniel 9 just quickly here. We get wrapped up in the so-called Christmas season, okay? Uh, and by the way, do you notice that people, they do the X and then must, and they're taking Christ out of it? And that has to do with, actually what that has to do with was the Greek, the way the Greek is written. In the Greek letter, the lettering is an X in, in English. It isn't in Greek, obviously. And so they just they shorten it so they don't offend anyone. Well, the cross is offensive, so let's be offensive, if you will. Okay, in grace and long suffering and meekness, and gentleness and everything. Okay, but if you think about this, again, there's a lot of scriptural evidence that the time period associated with December 25th, okay, actually does mark a marvelous event in human history. It's not the birth of Christ, it's the conception of Christ. And we'll look a little bit at that as we go here. But yet, really, this time of the year offers a tremendous opportunity to get the word out in an effective way. It's really a wonderful time of, as we're receiving gifts from people, you know, and we're giving gifts but man, what an opportunity to share with loved ones that wonderful gift that Christ gave us, that God the Father gave us. So you can use that. So rather than getting all worked up, let's use it for his benefit and for his glory. 2 Corinthians 9, the end of the, the last of that passage, he says, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. And that's really what the whole day is about, and really just kind of a reminder. Daniel, in the fullness of time, Daniel 9, in Daniel 9, you start in verse 24, and you get 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Again, thy people, that's Israel. The holy city is Jerusalem. And then there's six things that are going to have to happen here. Six reasons why the 70th week of Daniel has to take place and accomplish. Now, watch verse 25. Knowing, therefore, and understanding that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. Now, that gives us a timing, okay? I wasn't going to write on my nice clean board, but guess what? <laughs> so we have a going forth to build the city. By the way, notice it's the commandment is to restore and to build Jerusalem, not the temple, because the Jerusalem, the city of the king, has to be there. He'll take care of the temple issue. Actually, it happens when his city in the new heaven comes and sits down. There it is. So that starts in Nehemiah 2. So with Cyrus telling Nehemiah, go, build, and giving that. Now, we're going to move out 69 weeks, okay? And it's weeks of something. And, and in Scripture, weeks can be weeks of months, of years, of days, 
here it's years. 69 times 7 is how many? 483, okay? At 483, an event's going to happen. That mat, the 483rd year ends when the Lord Jesus Christ has what they call that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's when it ends. Now, by the way, notice verse 26. And what's that word? After the 69th week, now we have Calvary. It's not a part of the 69 weeks. Okay? See how you learn things. You're just putting pieces together. Now, how old are, uh, does the guys go into the priesthood? 33, right? So we take 483, and we back it up 33, and we do this, and we you know, carry the one and cross out the zero and all that good stuff. And they could literally know within a reasonable period of time of when he was coming. And they can count. Why? Because they, they know where to start. And they know what's, what's 33 minus. That's 50. So you think about 449th year, what are they looking for? They're like, hey, it's getting time here. That's why when you come over to Luke, come over here to Luke chapter 2. So you see, Paul says, in the fullness of time, the Lord came. Right on time. Not a minute early, not a second early. Did you? I don't know if any of you, I don't, on Facebook there was a little picture I posted, and it's got Mary and Joseph on the mule, and they're going into the manger, the stable. And he's like, I know, honey, I know, Mary. I should have called ahead and made reservations. Are you okay? She's like, I'm fine. And the silent night began. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, I, you know how that goes. And, well, that's how things happen, okay? But look at Luke 2. Look, look at Luke 2, verse 25. Luke 2, 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, now watch, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So what's he waiting for? He's waiting for the consolation of who? Of Israel. He's waiting for the Lord's Christ. He's waiting for the Messiah. He knows it's time. Verse 30. For my eyes have seen thy salvation. What did he do? Verse 27. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, they took him up in his... Uh, they took... Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, The Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. Down in verse 36, there's Anna. She's the same. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for the Messiah, but they know. Now, for you and I, what does that help you and I with? We can know something here. We can learn something Again, it's for our learning, not our obedience, but it's for our learning. It's to come along and say, hey, this is what's going to happen here. And we can pinpoint it, and we can go back and look at it. Galatians 4 said he was made of a woman. Well, what does that remind us of? Genesis 3, verse 15, the seed of the woman. There he is. And we can go back. Matthew 1, 1, here's the, gener uh, the generation of... The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
By the way, in, Gen in Matthew 1, in the genealogy, there are five women in the genealogy of the Lord in Matthew 1. Very fascinating that they're there. Why? Because he's made of a woman. He's made under the law. So what's the institution that the Lord was born under? Not the new covenant, not grace, but what? The law. The That's why they were up at the temple doing this customary thing. It's time for him to go there. He was born, uh, are you, I don't know where you're at, but if you look at Luke 2, Luke 2, Luke, Luke, Luke 2, verse 6, and so it was that while they were there, they're in Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that she should be, what? Delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end, isn't that interesting? Natural birth, normal birth, just like everybody else. Luke, Doctor Luke here gets the. De I mean, he's talk. Ladies tend to tell their doctors a little bit more than they tell anybody else, and he's getting the details. Actually, if you look across the page there to, to verse 19, and Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Yet Luke, Doctor Luke, was able to get out that information. The, the conception was the miracle, wasn't it? Come back into chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 30. By the way, we are on Old Testament ground here. You understand that, even though we're in the Gospels. We're, we're not New Testament ground. We're in the Old Testament. The New Testament doesn't go into a force until after the death of the testator. Okay? So if you think about that, the New Testament starts in that Acts period, doesn't it? And then who showed up? The body does, and Paul does. What did it do to the New Testament? It paused it, too. This is grace. We go out. 70th week starts back. The Lord returns. Where are we here? We're back on that New Testament ground. In his second coming, the new covenant, the new testament, is confirmed in that believing element of Israel. So don't let somebody say in the New Testament, Matthew, no, you're still on the under the law. Matthew 5.17, you're under the law. He's telling them to do the law. Now you found chapter 1, right, of Luke? Good. Verse 30, and the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. That verse always fascinates me. Here's a young, a young woman, and she, what does she know? It's getting there. It's getting there. Found favor. Why would she find favor with God? What is she then? She's a Bible believer. She knows her scriptures. Actually, you start in verse 46, and she's going to literally salivate all over the Lord the baby in her belly, if you will, from 46 to 52, and she's literally quoting all, the book of Psalms. That means she knows Psalms. The Lord, My soul doth magnify the Lord, magnify, praise the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. See how she knows she's a sinner and she needs a Savior? You know, the immaculate conception and all that nonsense. Then she just starts. 
for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. That's Psalms 116. It's Malachi 3, verse 49. For he that is mighty, there's Psalms 111, verse 50, Psalms 103, verse 51, Psalms 89, Exodus 15, verse 52, Psalms 107, Job 40, verse 53, Psalms 107, verse 54, Psalms 98, verse 55, Psalms 105, Psalms 132. I mean, she's just, no wonder she found favor. She's a Bible believer. Knew that Old Testament. Knew who? Knew that was getting time for the Messiah to come. Now, you and I, what we can learn this, can't we? We can see, we can rejoice in it. We can spend a day like today and say, wow, look at this. This is wonderful. 130, fear not, uh, uh, the angel says here, for thou hast found favor with, the, with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a... Notice her question. Her question isn't, No, that's not true. Her question is, is I understand how it is to have a kid, and I, I'm not quite... I, I'm missing a component here. Okay? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who, shall, who is called barren. And John the Baptist is, is a cousin of the Lord. He's six months older. Okay. My point is, is notice the information we can get. How about the nativity scene? Everybody's got a nativity. Did you see the guy on the news? He's got like seven or 8,000 nativities in his house and backyard. And I'm like, holy cow. And they're from all over the world. But look at the, and every one of the nativity scenes, you know who's there, don't you? The wise men. The wise men weren't there. Okay. How do you know that? Well, Luke 2. I mean, it's fascinating here. Luke 2, verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. By the way, that helps you understand we're not December 25th. Because the temperature and the weather in this part of the world is much like it is here. And they got the sheep on somewhere else. Okay, They're in the Why? Because it's a nice summer evening. And they're out tending the sheep. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So what's the nativity going to be? It's going to be the babe wrapped in a swaddling, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from, uh, fr uh, from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Now watch, let us now go even unto Bethlehem. Isn't it interesting? The angel never told them that he was in Bethlehem, but they knew it. 
We've got a bunch of Bible-believing sheep herders, sheep sh shepherds here, don't we? What do they know? They know the prophecy, the prophet says that the Messiah is going to be born where? In Bethlehem, Judah. So what do they do? And see this thing, which I love that, this thing. Everybody gets all, oh, don't call the Lord a thing. Well, <laughs> the Holy Ghost called him a thing, okay? And see this thing, which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made it known unto us. And they came with haste and found, now look, Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Isn't that interesting? By the way, verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. There's no wise men there. Now, the wise men are fascinating. Come over to Matthew 2, because they do show up. The reason that they're in the manger, there's no room in the inn for them. Okay, it's tax season. That's what they're, what's happening but also that demonstrates the poverty of Joseph and Mary. Okay, It fulfills the issue of him coming low and meekly and not you know, as a king would come. A, a king, a, you know, when uh, Harry and Megan, or Harry and, uh, what's his, his brother? William, thank you. We're born, it was a big pop and circumstance and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Not, not this case. Why? It's not that coming for the Lord. It's lowly, meek. Quietly, here he is. But doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't take care of him. Watch Matthew 2. Matthew 2, verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. So now you got the wise men, the magi they're called. Now everybody thinks there's three. Okay? I've read that usually these guys travel in groups up to 50. But probably these guys were 12, 15. They were a smaller group. Now, the Magi, they're, they're coming out of the east. Do you know what's east of Jerusalem? A little country called Babylon. You remember Babylon? Oh, Nebi, Nebuchadnezzar? You remember a guy in Nebuchadnezzar that had great influence? A little man called Daniel? What's Daniel been teaching, Nebi? What's Daniel been teaching the, 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 the philosophers and the brain trust of Babylon, of the Gentiles? Hey, there's a Messiah coming. So here you got a bunch of Gentile guys who are what? Bible believers, and they're looking for someone who's king of the Jews. And what do they They get to Herod saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod, now by the way, where would Herod and these guys be? They're not in Bethlehem. Where are they? They're in Jerusalem. So the guys come to Jerusalem, and he says, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Verse 3, and when Herod the king had heard all these, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. See, they're not in Bethlehem. They're in Jerusalem. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And again, this is Micah 5. And lo, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not 
the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently, now watch, what time the star appeared. Notice that. What's going to happen here? See that timing? There's a time here. It's time. What time was it? Now, just keep reading. We'll talk about the star here in just a minute. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young. See how it's a young child? They come looking for a what? A baby. They're looking for a, an infant. Herod says, what time? And they said, well, about this time. So he's a young child. And when ye have found, verse 8, you bring him word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over there where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Now notice these guys. First they come. He's in a house now. He's not in the manger, not in the stable. He's in a house, and he's a young child, at least of the age of two. Okay? They bring three gifts that actually, my own personal, I think they bring more. But these three are brought up because who are they in front of? The king. The gold, the king, frankincense. That's the uh, incense that they were anointing the priest with in the priesthood. You go back in uh, Exodus and you read that. Myrrh. Myrrh is what they embalmed the, the bodies uh, with. And it, and, it, and it pictures the suffering affliction of the prophet. It was an embalming fluid type or an incense that they use. So what do we have a picture of? King, priest, and prophet. But now watch verse 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Isn't that, what, isn't that great? Now, who, by the way, who else came out of Egypt that was called his son? Israel. They came out of Egypt, and that's my firstborn. Here's, so you got those pictures being painted here. But think about this. Here's Joseph. What work, what work did Joseph do? He's a carpenter, okay? He's been working enough to pay rent in a house, but nothing else. Then the wise men show up with gold and frankincense and myrrh, very expensive gifts. And the Lord says, okay, go down there to the pawn shop or the bank account and let's swap, do a little swap in here because you've got to go to Egypt now because what's going to happen? Herod's going to come in, verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under. 
according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. What did he ask them? When did that star show up? And the wise men said, what, about two years ago, right? What does he think? Two years and not? I got him. Where, where, did the, where did the father provide for an escape mechanism for Mary and Joseph and the, and the child to go? It wasn't cheap to, you know, rent two mules and a donkey or, or two camels and a whatever to go, and yet he, off he went. Yesterday, we opened our Christmas gifts with the kids because they're, they're going to Chicago here this morning and the little gifts are more valuable sometimes than the big gifts because <laughs> what's the little gift gift card usually and that you know, is a little more than the big you know and we've we've had that conversation as our children have gotten older that don't always discount the little ones you know why well you got a little little of this and a little of that and a little and off they go all right the wise men come they bring gifts that will aid Joseph and Mary to flee to Egypt. But they're also establishing that the prophecy of the coming Messiah was being fulfilled. There he is. Okay? Now, let's talk about that star for just a moment. Because the star gets a lot of play in theology. All right? When... Let's get right to the right note. There we go. When the star shows up, the question then gets, what is it? Because it, it could be that gaseous thing out there we call a star. Some have uh, come to the conclusion, because this is 4 B.C., 7 B.C., time-wise, that there was a catastrophic cosmic event that it was actually an asteroid that fell out of heaven and it was just that streaming across the sky or it was Pluto or I'm sorry Saturn and Jupiter coming together you know how we've seen the here in we a month or so where you could see uh, what was it Mars and you could see Saturn because they were in the right alignment and they say well see that was that see or it could be oh who it could be an angel Okay? Now think about that. Now we'll look here in just a second. So then the other criticism is, is, well, it's only found in Matthew. Matthew's the only one that talks about the star. By the way, Matthew's the only one that talks really about the wise men in any detail either as well. Well, but when you think about the portrait that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are painting of the Lord, the star is going to be associated with Israel's king and that's the portrait that Matthew is painting of the Lord Jesus Christ is he's what Israel's king Luke I'm sorry Mark portrays the the Lord as Israel's servant the servant of the father so no stars needed for the servant by the way in in Mark there's no genealogy because who cares where the servant came from what do we want to know about the servant we want to know, can he work? Can he get the job done? Can he do what needs to be done? You know. Luke portrays the, the Lord as the son of man. Man. By the way, Matthew, here's what the king says, speaks. Mark, here's what the servant does, works. 
Luke, the man, here's how he felt. Remember, it was in Luke that we read Mary pondered all this stuff in her heart. The feeling, the, the feelings, no, the, the emotions and so forth. The description of the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane is more vivid in Luke than it is in any of the other accounts. By the way, we don't need a star for man because what is he? He's just a man. <laughs> That's all he is. John portrays the Lord as who he is, God, the Son of God. By the way, who was made flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. Okay? There's no star needed there because what star could outshine God? By the way, there's no genealogy in John because God is from everlasting to everlasting. He's always been. Okay? So you've got that comes up. But yet when you think about the star in Scripture, come over four places stars are, that word star, come over to Isaiah 14, is used in connection to an angel. Okay? And I'll tell you, my own personal private belief is that the star that appears to the wise men is that of an angel. And I'll show you here in just a minute. But think about this, about in Scripture, stars being associated with the angels. Isaiah 14, you have Lucifer. And look, if you will, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weakenest the nations? For thou, shalt, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That's not the planetarial system. That wasn't created yet when he made this comment. Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2. So then who are the stars? That angelic creation, that's the, only, that's the only creation that's there. The heaven and the earth are there, but the universe that we know out there isn't there yet. And he calls that angelic host stars. Come over to Job 38, the second place. Job 38, as God describes the creation week here to Job, Job 38, he asked him, verse 4, Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Notice how... God describes the angelic realm as morning stars and as sons of God. So the angelic creation that's present when God is creating, they're watching him do it, and what are they doing? They're rejoicing. They're singing. They're praising him. See? By the way, it's very interesting. The, angelic, the angels start out as sons of God, right? Now we have fallen angels, okay? But then what does he say in John 1, verse 11? Go over there to John 1. See how you can just start putting these pieces together? Look at John 1. You can let Job go. John 1, 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So the Lord comes to Israel. Israel rejects him. But, verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the what? Do you see how Israel is replacing the angels as who? 
the sons of God. Isn't that interesting? Romans 8, we learn that the church, the body of Christ, are what? Sons of God. And Ephesians 1.10, we learn that God's ultimate goal, the Father's ultimate goal, is to put it all back under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's in the heavens? The sons of God, church, the body of Christ. Who's on the earth? The sons of God, Israel, and the, and, and the believing Gentile. See how that, but who's, who was the original sons of God? That angelic realm, okay? Angels. Now, go, third one, Daniel 8. It's just interesting when you begin, again, things are written aforetime or written for our learning. Now, none of this is going to impact doctrine that we have today that we learn, grace doctrine, okay? But it does what? Shore it up. Because who, does Christ, who do we preach? Christ, we preach Jesus Christ. Well, he's got, we have to have that understanding here of what he's doing. Daniel 8. Look, if you will, verse 10. Oh, it's not the right verse. Daniel 8, well, yeah, it is, verse 10. But look, start in verse 8. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Now, that is, the he-goat is Greece. And when Greece falls apart in history, it's busted up into four. Alexander the Great is, is killed, he's dead, and then we have the four, the four component, the nations come out of Greece. Uh, we have Syria, we have Greece, and then we have Egypt and um, that other one over there. Okay? So you have the, now watch verse 9. And out of one of them, Syria, comes forth a little horn which waxed exceedingly great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. So that's the, the little horn is the Antichrist. That's what Daniel's describing. Verse 10, and it waxed great even to the, notice that, host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host of the stars and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. What does the Antichrist do here? He's working in cahoots with the adversary and what's he just, we have some fallen angels, don't we? But they're called stars, heavenly host, the host of heaven. Come over to Revelation 12. Revelation 12. So when you think about this star in Matthew, Revelation 12 and verse 4, again here, John, talking about the red dragon, verse 3. The woman, another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. Just you know how grotesque that looks, you know. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be devoured for to be devour to devour her child as soon as it was born. No, notice that. What are they? A third part of the stars of heaven. Again, the angels. So come back to Matthew 2. So clearly in Scripture, stars can be used to be spoken of that gas thing out there in the third heaven, or the second heaven that we see, because obviously in Genesis 1, he created it. But it can also be used in association with the angel. Now watch, 
the watch what the star does in Matthew 2. Okay? Because the star doesn't behave like a comet shooting across the sky. It doesn't behave like an asteroid invading the atmosphere. It doesn't behave like Saturn and Jupiter bumping into each other. It behaves like a living being. Okay? They see the star, verse 2, in the east. Verse 9. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east did what? Went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now think about this. If it's the planetarial bumping of Jupiter and Saturn together, how can they move and then stop exactly where the Lord is? They're not going to do that. An angel would do that. See? Uh, sure. They all watch. They all, all of them do. Gabriel and Michael are the only two that really do. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Michael is their prince, Daniel 12, and the end of Daniel 11. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't say. It just is not what the theologians say. <laughs> That's my point. You can learn this. It's right here. So what does he do? He come, they come, they stand over, verse 9, where the young child was. When they saw the star, they, verse 10, rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child there and by the way, notice there's no more star. It went away. Then if you think about the angels, they knew, the, the wise men knew the Messiah would come. They also knew that there was a star associated with the coming of the Messiah. Come back with me to Numbers 24. They knew where... When they, they knew that when they saw an event of a star sitting out there on the timeline that Daniel had laid out for them, Daniel 9, they began to understand that the king of Israel was here. He had arrived. They rejoice it. They're going to go see him. They're going to go work through it, and they're moving that way. Now look, if you will, to Numbers 24, because here's what they knew. Here's what Daniel taught them. And again, I say that because the wise men, the magi, they're coming, they're, they're Gentiles, and they're coming out of the Babylon area. They've been taught this. They believe, they believe the Bible more than the chief priest and the elders and the leadership of Israel. So they're going to be rewarded. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, that's in Hebrews, so that belongs to who? Hebrews, Israel. Okay. And what are these guys doing? They're right where they're supposed to be. Now, look at Daniel 24. Now, in Daniel 24, actually, it starts back in 22. You have Balaam, Balak, and Baal, and you got all of that going on. But there's a prophecy here in Daniel 20, I'm sorry, Numbers 24, Verse 15, and he took up the parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor. So here's, here's Balak, or, or Balaam, and the man whose eyes are open has said, he hath said, which heard the words of God, verse 16, and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. 
Now watch. Watch Balaam. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. See that capital S? And a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children. See that? They knew the Messiah was coming. They knew when they saw that star out there, which was not a normal thing. It's a, it's a supernatural thing. There's an angel there. They're like, hey, it's time. The Messiah has been born, the king of Israel. How would they know to come and ask, is the king of the Jews born? Where is he? We were, they know their Old Testament that that's what's happening. So therefore, guess what? We can know that too. So when we, when we get around folks who think the star is something else, you don't have to argue with them. You can if you want. But you can just have the confidence, have the peace and the comfort of what? Of knowing. Now, you, again, it's four hour, written a four time for our learning. It's right there. Okay? Now, come back with me to Luke. And one more little point here, and just a way of reminder. And again, Philippians 3, Paul says, for me to write this into, it's not grievous, but for you it is safe. It's good to be reminded of things. And usually in the, in the month of December, every week has a Christmas theme. And all. I got sick. We couldn't do that. Push stuff back, you know. But it just kind of think about this in Luke 1. When the Lord was born, okay, and how Luke 1 lays that out. And, and again, the, the point here is Romans 15, verse 4, the things that were written aforetime are written for our learning. Why? So that we can have patience and comfort of the scriptures. We can have some peace. The, the consolation of God rests with us. And we just know it because what do we do? We, we study the Bible. So in, in Luke 1, you start in verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the course of Abiah. And his wife was, the daughter, was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Okay, verse 8. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course. So his course is called Abiah. All right? And he's going to be there a week. By the way, the reason for that is back in 1 Chronicles 24, David, King David, has to step in because the sons of Aaron... How many were they when they started? Four. There's two. But the two boys have an uneven number of boys to work the priest office. So David had to step in, 1 Chronicles 24, and he had to divide up the service of the temple for the year. So Zacharias will be in the temple working two times. Zacharias' counterpart, would be in the working only one time because of how it's... So David, you go back in Chronicles, and it gets kind of cross-eyed in the eyes trying to figure it out, but that's what he had to do because one boy had two times as many descendants as the other, so he bounced them out, okay? So Zacharias, come with me to 1 Chronicles 24. Just get the information. And again, I do this. We've got to do it quickly. And... Just so that you're just reminded, uh, 1 Chronicles 24, verse 5. 
Thus were divided by lot, one sort with another, for the governors of the sanctuary and the governors of the house of God were the sons of Eleazar, the sons of Ithamar. So he divides them out. Okay? Verse 7. Now the first lot came forth to that kid, the third, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth. Verse 10. Do you see that, that Abiah, Abiah is the eighth? So it's the eighth week after Passover. Okay, do you, do you remember Exodus? What starts Israel's calendar? The month of Abib. Do you remember Ab- Nisan, the fourteenth day of the month? We're going to do this. Okay, you, you with? You, you, okay, no. Go back to Exodus. Go back to Exodus. Go back to Exodus. Exodus twelve. It's important to understand to see this. Exodus 12 and verse verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses and and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation, In the tenth day of this month they shall take uh, uh, to them every man a lamb. They're going to set it out. They're going to watch it. Verse 6, And ye shall... Keep it until the 14th day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So the 14th day of the first month, come over to chapter 13. Chapter 13 of Exodus. Chapter 13, verse 4. This day came ye, into the month, uh, came ye out in the month Abib. Okay? So Abib, Nisan is what it's later deal, is really our April, A-P-R-I-L, okay? Kind of associated out. But where are we? We're in the 14th, right? So in Second Chronicles, Passover is going to run a week, and then we're eight weeks later, Abiah, is the eighth week after Passover. Okay? Now go back to Luke. To Luke. Luke 1. The eighth week after Passover is June 14th through the 19th, roughly. Okay? That's eight weeks later. April. We count them out. All right? And it's roughly. So don't. The, the calendars shift and they do this, so just ballpark it, okay? Luke 1, uh, Luke 1 Zacharias, uh, verse 11, Then appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Do you know why that's the case? Because for 400 years the Lord has been silent. There's been no angels. There's been no communications from heaven. And now all of a sudden, here's Zacharias, and they're sitting an angel. He knows who he is. Faith will do that for you. And he's, he's scared to death, trembling. That's why you would hear me say, if an angel walked in here, you'd just fall out in fear. It, it wouldn't kill you, but it'd knock you, it, you would just be done. <laughs> why? Because that's, well, that's it. But the angel said unto him, fear not, Zacharias. For thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, 
and thou shalt call his name John. Okay, so here's John. Now, Zacharias can't speak, can't talk. Everybody's wondering what he's doing, okay? Verse 23. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus have the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Now, draw your eye across to verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah, into a city of Judah, and entered in the house of Zacharias and saluteth Elizabeth. So uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth don't live in Jerusalem. They live out, out of town. So his day's over the 19th. Let's give him three days to get home. Poor guy's got to walk. So he's getting home roughly on what? 21st-ish. Now he can't talk. So now he's got to go into Elizabeth and sign language up what's happened, write it out, and then convince her that they've got to go and do have a marriage relationship. So now we're, I mean, we'll put that on the 20. It takes a few days because she's, you dirty old man, what are you doing here, you know? I mean, you think, folks, they're people just like we are. So you've got to think about that. So roughly around the 24th to the 25th, John the Baptist is what? Conceived. She's hid five months, verse 26. And in the sixth month, okay, Gabriel goes to Mary. So six months later, which would be what? December. Thank you. About the 21st to the 25th, Mary has an event with the Holy Ghost. And we have the conception take place that timing of the year. Now, meanwhile, what happens with old J.B., John the Baptist? He's born, what would be nine months, what is that, March? Okay, roughly, March, if I did it right. So then where, when is Christ born? Late September, right? As if I counted that out right. December, right? Nine months. January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September. Roughly. See? Now where is that found? Right there in the scripture. All we did was put it on the board. And what do we have? All across America, today is the birth of Christ. But why is it said that way? Because the adversary doesn't want the real miracle to be acknowledged. Okay? With the real miracle was the conception of Christ. John and or Zacharias and Elizabeth was natural, normal. The Lord didn't do anything there. John, Zacharias had to go in with to Elizabeth, okay? Joseph had no play in it. It's not his dad. It's stepdad if you have to have a dad in there, okay? Mary had a completely different deal, okay? I have a handout of all this. I'll get you that, okay? Instead of trying to take a picture of this chicken strap. Go back to Romans 15. 
Romans 15. Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. It's a wonderful hope that we have to know the Christmas story, the real Christmas story. Not to be bogged down in the commercialism or the tradition, but to do what? To be able to know this is what really happened. Now, again, we have family that gets that way, and then, but you, that's, that family dynamic can be better left unsaid, <laughs> okay? And you just have to do that for you. You have the grace, you have the liberty and who you are in Christ to do that. And again, I would encourage you to use it to first rejoice in our great Savior and then to get that wonderful message of his love and grace out to them. And to do that isn't to go in and rain all over the Christmas tree, which we didn't even look at, the bail pole. Oh, the bail pole. Well, it's what it, how it's described, okay? But my point is, is it's right here for our learning, and we can know it. If you come over to Galatians 6, just give you one verse and we'll be, we'll, we'll pray and be, go have some coffee and whatever's next door. Galatians 6, look at verse 14. Here's where we ought to glory. We don't celebrate his birth, folks. We really, okay? We celebrate his what? His death, his burial, and his resurrection. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. That's where we glory. And what we can do, again, if you flip over to 2 Corinthians 9, in verse 15, we can give thanks unto God for his unspeakable gift. Because what did it require? It required the Lord to come and to walk and to be a man and to do and we'll talk about all that next hour, okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord, and thank you for the folks here on this day that they're here and to study and to look into these things and to rejoice in them and to give you the praise and you the glory and you the honor in everything we say. In your name we pray. Amen.